Assalamualaikum dear listeners. This audio class is conducted by the Alchemy of Happiness and organized by Darussalam Mosque. Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back. Uh, you know, indeed, I must say just now when I was about to go to prayer and then come back for prayer, seeing so many familiar faces is very nice. So thank you for coming back. Ikhlas, ikhlas. Okay, uh, <clears throat> so today we want to talk about um, adultery. Um, and since one of my specialties and in, is on interfaith, uh, I want to talk to you about the concept of, not concept, uh, about how other religions view adultery and I want you to think about it and then we'll talk about how Islam view and whether the Islamic point of view with regards to adultery is really off the charts. You understand what I'm saying? You know, usually like, you know, in a normal civil way of, civilian way of life, if somebody commits adultery in a non-Muslim setting, it's kind of like, oh, it happens. Right, and then when Islam, what happens if there's adultery in Islam? Kill. You think an agreement, serious, lah, you know. So we want to see whether that uh, pers- that perception is really um, misconceived, or is it the same view across the board? It's just that whether uh, they practice it or not. Okay. So we want to begin with the earliest um, uh, code. Uh, that has been uh, recorded and formulated and was uh, found somewhere in 1901 is the Code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi is the ruler of the famous earliest uh, civilization, human civilization along the uh, Babylonian uh, you know, uh, empire. So um, he devised one of the earliest code of laws um, and um, this code of law begins and ends always with uh, praising uh, the gods. Uh, so if you look at how, like we make du'a just now, right? The, what's the adapt of du- making du'a? First you begin by saying, you praise Allah, praise the Lord, praise Allah. <laughs> Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Then after that, salawat to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. The third is your du'a, and then you make your du'a, whatever, and then you end with the salawat, and you end it up with giving thanks, right? Alhamdulillah, uh, Rabbil Alameen, right? Okay. So it is really, code of law is not just simply a code of law that's enacted just because of uh, legislature, but because there is a connection with the divine. In the way that Muslims look at it, our code of law, our sharia has connection with the divine, with Allah. And in the past, it also used to be the same. Now let's look at how uh, the Hammurabi code looks at adultery. Okay, one. <coughs> Both parties will be punished by drowning. Of course, now drowning Singapore River tak sempat. So like last time lah, Babylonian kan by the Mesopotamian River or whatever. But if the husband forgives the wife and then the king will interject and say, okay, you're forgiven. For incest, nitro, nitro, incest with mother, both will be killed, burned to death. With a stepmother, man disinherited. With a daughter, man exiled. Daughter-in-law drowned. Sons betrothed, fine. Right? Quite serious. Huh? And it's quite... It covers almost everything. A wife who uh, sabotaged the husband until he can have punishment by death will he herself be hanged. And this is the earliest record, recorded history of a code of criminal law with regards to adultery. Now, let's look at the different uh, Abrahamic faith. And first, we look at in Christianity in the Bible. How do Christians look at adultery? And we go to its source, which is the Bible. In Leviticus, the punishment for adultery is death. And the man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay? Later you see Islam in the Quran does not talk about death. Okay? Now also in Deuteronomy, stoning not only for extramarital sex, but also for premarital sex. Then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of a father's house and the man of a city shall stone her with stones that she die. Okay? So this is the Christian's view of it. Another position for engaged woman, if let's say she was having she, <clears throat> that act, but she doesn't protest, her non-protest is a sign of a willingness and she will also be stoned to death. 
because then you shall bring them both out onto the gate of the city and you shall stone them with stones that they die the damsel because she cried not being in the city okay i don't want to read the first part because it's kind of like in, um, okay never mind yeah it's okay so death lah basically <laughs> okay that's in in the bible what about in the torah and this for the jews yeah? judaism guess death <coughs> maybe Punishment in Leviticus for adultery depends on the marital status of the woman. If um, the, you require two eyewitnesses of good character, and then later we'll talk about witnesses in Islam as well, and before they commit that act, they must be warned of the danger or the sin of that act. So you're right. There's death penalty for adultery. However, death penalty is not carried out in Judaism because this is only applicable if the temple stands and now as you know you know the temple of solomon is no more in jerusalem uh, so as long as the supreme torah court is convened within that temple and since it is no more around there is death penalty does not apply although by ruling it is death penalty but the condition is not fulfilled because there's no more temple and the court is not convened there okay that's in judaism so also death at the civil level, however, Jewish law, the halakha, forbids a man to continue living with an adulterous wife and he is obliged to divorce her. Okay, so it is a cause for divorce by the man. And the adulteress is not permitted to marry the adulterer. Right? Um, um, but he must also divorce her in any case as if they were married. That's to clear that they will never be able to to be married you understand this okay tak apa right they cannot marry each other okay can stop there okay finish so basically dalam kena bunuh dalam to death but also you if the wife is an adulteress she he must divorce her and if uh yeah i cannot marry her okay okay dah okay <laughs> So according to Judaism, every Jew must uh, act and live by the laws of Noah. And there are seven laws of Noah. Do not deny God, blaspheme God, do not murder, and number four, do not engage in illicit sexual relationships. So this is the prohibition of adultery that then become developed into the Tanakh and the Torah and you know, the whole gamut of Judaistic uh, uh, literature. Okay, so it comes from the seven laws of Torah. Now, <coughs> that's in the Torah. Um, you know, you know the Aztecs. Now, Aztecs, kah mana? Orang Aztec lah, you know. South America, you know the the great civilization before. Okay, now let's look at also uh, in modern religion uh, how they view adultery. <coughs> In many instances, if the wife commits adultery, her punishment is that she must endure a bodily mutilation to the extent that she will not be attractive enough for anyone to commit adultery with her, wherever, wherever lah. Okay. And occasionally, in some other tribes within the Aztec family, uh, she is impaled. You know, impaled to uh, how to say? Eh? Rodo lah. You understand? Sula. Okay, never mind, you Google impale, okay? Uh, or alternatively, the most common will be stoned to death. And this is not Islam, huh? this is not the established religion, huh? this is a tribal uh, society. Even so, you can see that this is how they view adultery, how serious it is that it destroys the value of the society. And the last example would be Hinduism. And the loss of Manu. Manu. The loss of Manu is part of the extension of uh, the loss of Veda, which is the sort of like the, the Bible. Though destitute of virtue or seeking pleasure elsewhere or devoid of good qualities, yet a husband uh, <coughs> must be constantly worshipped as a god by a faithful wife. On the other hand, if a wife proud of the greatness of her relatives or her own excellence violates that duty, the king shall cause her to be devoured by dogs in a place frequented by many. Okay, so now we see from the old civilization 
to Judaism, uh, Christianity, Judaism, to current civilization, the Aztecs, and in Hinduism, Far Eastern religion. Now, I want you to think, how do this religious life view adultery? Serious or not serious? Very serious, right? Do you know that that was a punishment before this class? That it was stoned to death, eaten by dogs in the middle of the road, impaled, bodily mutilated. Do you know that? No. So now you know, Alhamdulillah. Okay, cross. Huh? But, so what, what do you observe? Uh, say something lah. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about what to say. <laughs> what do you observe about these religions? How do they view adultery? Why do you think it's serious for them? It's because gender what? Inequality, okay. I mean, like, okay. I mean, if you look at civilization, the Babylonians or the Aztecs. Yeah, worship doesn't matter as a god, why? Okay, you're talking about adultery. Lah. <laughs> that one you cannot comment because that's the way they live their life. You know, they were living in like um, a tribal system, like probably unsophisticated area, right? Babylonians, the Aztecs. If they commit adultery, similar as what? Similar to what? Especially in that open area that, they, you know, people, that civilization live. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Bukan macam manusia lah, like, like animal lah, you know? If like, macam cats. <laughs> you know, like anyone, anyhow, they feel okay, they do. And then like, then become white spots, blue spots, green spot, whatever spot. And then say, wow, so cute, so many colorful spots. But that's the result of adulterous life, <laughs> you know? So even at the basic, what I'm trying to say is even at um, a non-formal religious, like the Babylonians, like the Aztecs, you know, they understand that value. And then you look at a formal system, Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, also, right? I mean, of course, now it's a bit more sophisticated, the reasoning. It's not just like, you know, like the dogs outside because, you know, uh, you know it's just human values, lah, you know? Now, then comes Islam. And people say that, you know, if you commit adultery, you'll be stoned, for example. What do people say in the media, let's say? Can I stone? OMG, so tribal, inhumane. Yo, dude, look at all this. You know, jangan lupa. Okay, don't forget. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they need to real, we need to realize that Islam doesn't come out of nowhere that suddenly impose this and it seems barbaric and all that. It's not. It's actually, if you notice, it's quite... <laughs> everybody is doing the same thing. Now, let's look at what Allah says in the Quran. The general principle. Wala taqrabu zina. Do not come near to adultery. Innahu kana fahishatan wasa'a sabila. Indeed, it is an abomination and it is an evil way of life. That means it's, you know, do not even, you know, that there are not many things that Allah talks about, do not go near, uh, la takrabu, or la takraba is uh, zina and alcohol, only these two. Because although it seems not important for us in this, in this time, it's normal, everybody does it, but this becomes the seed to other sins. You know, and zina, this becomes the seed of the whole generation of Basically, like how to say, uh, problematic lah nak kawin susah and then like I mean you know you know in Sharakot, I've had a case and it's a very very sad case. Uh, so, I was the duty judge that day so like semua kena lah. Then one funny case came. I mean not funny, sad case. Like okay, we start. We want to uh, ask for a divorce and then we want to go to RMM and marry. Then say what's the situation? The situation was last time tinggal in tinggal in the village kampung. So, um, when she got married, her father married her off and gave her away. And they were married for, I think, almost 15 years and they had four kids. <coughs> and then when the father passed away, uh, the wife, uh, they, the mother called them together and said, okay, uh, we have something serious to tell you. Yes, what is it? Uh, actually, you are an illegitimate child and your father gave you away. That means sah ke tak sah, the nikah? Tak sah, not valid. And so they cry, they say, Ustaz, we don't know what to do. Tapi dah nikah already, on paper. So then, it, first of all, I tell them, it, it's not their fault, right? So what about the children? Are they all illegitimate? You didn't know, there's no knowledge, and so they are not legitimate, right? 
So what do we do now? So by paper, what we need to do is we need to nullify, not divorce. We need to nullify that marriage 15 years ago and then to remarry now with the Qadi in RMM and you know, officially you start from there. And all the past is finished. You know, not your fault, you didn't know, uh, you know, that's, yeah. So uh, that becomes a problem, right? What if the mother tak sempat to tell them and then the mother die? The whole life they don't know. Of, of course they don't know, no problem lah, you know, but uh, that's why when we talk about makasih or sharia, the preservation of the progeny, the purity of the line. And that's why one of the important things in Islam do not commit this because when you commit this, the, the seed or the benih has been implanted which is, which is illegal. You understand what I mean? It's not at the fault of the child at all. Okay? So anyway, the general principle is this. And then the punishment. Okay. The woman and the man guilty of adultery or fornication. Azania wazani. What is it? Flog each of them with a hundred stripes. Fajlidu kulla wahidin minhuma mi'ata jalda. Flog each of them with a hundred stripes. And do not let your compassion move you in their case in a matter prescribed by Allah if you believe Allah in the last day. And let a party of them And let a party of the believers witness their punishment. So you punish them, each one of them 100 flocks, and they must be witnessed by pious people. Cannot be in secret. You know, even like in Hinduism, just now we see when you're being mocked by dogs, it, must, it cannot be in a small place, it must be in the open area where people see you being mocked by dogs, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it serves both as a prevention as well to the community to not commit these acts, right? So this is the punishment in the Quran. Now, let's look at the hadith. Narrated by Abu Hurairah, the Prophet said, the one who commits an illegal sexual intercourse is not a believer at the time of committing that illegal sexual intercourse and theft and alcohol. Yet, so that means at the point of doing that act which is forbidden, and because you did a forbidden act which is haram, and the reason why you do a thing which is haram is because the connection and, and of you with Allah has been cut, there's no zikrullah. And so at that point, you're not a believer. At the point when you consume alcohol, you're not a believer. At the point you commit theft, you're not a believer. Until you are conscious and you tawbah, and then you come back into the fold of Islam. The importance, therefore, of the shahada. Even when sitting here, the azan contains shahada. The iqamah contains shahada. After wudu, one of the, the du'a is to say shahada. And when you pray, ashadu Allah ilaha illallah. So within the system of Islam, you automatically bring back. So similarly, we can say by extension, if you don't pray, at a point when you don't pray, you're not a believer. Right? I mean, there is a direct hadith on that as well. Right? So let's say, you didn't pray maghrib just now. So from Maghrib until the next prayer, you are not a believer. With, be, between you and God. Lah. Between you and me, you are Muslim and I don't know and I don't care and it's not my position to judge you. You understand? That's important. Between you and me, you are Muslim as far as I'm concerned. But between you and Allah, then you're not until the next prayer. The importance of prayer. It brings you back automatically into the full of faith because of the shahada that you mentioned, whether in your wudu, whether in your azan, your iqama, or your prayers in itself. You understand this? So it's important. This is how much Allah loves you. This is how much the system is being inbuilt so that it protects you. Right? So here the hadith says, at the point of you doing an act of transgression, you're not a believer until, but the gates of repentance is always open until the large signs, the big signs of the last days. Okay? And then the, the doors of repentance are closed. <clears throat> and then to corroborate this, I mean, it's a repetition. One day, um, Abu Dar said he came to the Prophet while he was wearing white clothes and he says, uh, okay, anyway, so he, the Prophet said, nobody who says La ilaha illallah and then later on dies while believing in that, in that shahada will not enter paradise. Anyone who, when he, he dies, he pronounced none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, La ilaha illallah, and then he dies believing in that, in that lafaz, he will enter paradise. And then three times he said, even if he committed the legal sexual, illegal sexual intercourse 
and theft. And the prophet said, even that. And he asked, even, the prophet said, even that, even, even that. Right? This is at the time of death or before, if one repents and regrets it, saying, la ilaha illallah. Then he will be forgiven his sins. But the thing is, we all hope that one day when we die on the deathbed, we say, la ilaha illallah, pap, die. Macam senang je. Kalau senang, boleh buat nonsense-nonsense tu. La ilaha illallah. Asyadu ala ilaha illallah. I mean, have you been when people are dying? The, the kalima in itself is heavy. If you have not regularly practiced it. A positive example. I, I know of Ahli Zikr. Right? He's, mashallah, I think. I know him as I think. To me, as far as I'm concerned, he's a wali. He's always in of Zikr. Kita buat nonsense in Zikr. Like, kadang kita like, I'm like, okay, he's an old man lah. And some like, I talk like, you know, you know that guy, that guy, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. They're sitting Astaghfirullah. Although he's not the one talking, I'm talking. Then I dengar him Astaghfirullah. Okay, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. <laughs> you know? But always in his lips, Allah, 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 Allah. And then when he was in a coma, coma. You know the definition of coma? That means you're unconscious. His lips and his hand, tasbih, tengah baring. Tapi tak conscious. Because as a, as a physical pattern, this has been so regular that can you imagine if the physical without consciousness is saying this, what about the heart? Although it's instead of coma. That one die, okay, instead of zikir, mashallah. Kita, ya Allah, nak mati. Eh, nak mati, ya alamak keretaku. Okay, who's going to get? No, 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 the first son get. The house, the second, the second son get. Terus mati. No point mati gitu. You're thinking about your, you're not, you're not even willing to let go of your worldly things and you're still worried about how this is going to turn out. I mean, worst scenario, last, 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 last step, there's always faraid. You want to die, just concentrate on your dying. I mean, cakap senang lah, you know, but my point is lah. <coughs> okay, anyway, coming back. <laughs> there are three proofs to adultery. Okay, three proofs. The first is witnesses. <coughs> you require four upright witnesses. It's not simply witnesses and kepo, eh? Four upright witnesses. Not only pray five times. They pray five times with khushu, with submission, who fast Monday, Thursday, and the three days, who always do charity, although himself not enough money to eat. Upright. Who never tell gossip, who when hear gossip, walk away, never tell lies like you and me. The story like this, when we tell the story like this. Sekarang-kadang, kalau you tell me the cop, they also employ you to write the script for them. Yeah, very dramatic. <laughs> you know? So upright. Okay. I don't, want to, I don't want you to raise your hands, but to ask yourself, am I upright? Kalau yes, there's something wrong with you. Please go for another zikrullah class. Clean your heart first. Okay? Witness the actual act of fornication or adultery. You cannot say, hey, you saw. Oh, you saw. Oh, okay lah. I believe you. I accept. You must see it. But not the kind who spy others to see it because there's another gamut of Islamic law about spying on others doing it. Right? You must see it with your own eyes and you must see, though all the four of you cannot like, oh, I saw him doing on Monday, oh, I see on Tuesday, I saw at 4 o'clock, I saw at 1 o'clock, cannot. All must see the act at the same place at the same time. Okay? So think again before you, you are a witness. If you are a witness, something is also wrong. Unless you tak plan terjadi witness lah. Then the question you ask, am I upright? Tadi baru gossip. Confirm tak upright. Semayang subuh alamak semalam termis. Lah, confirm tak payah sudah. <coughs> Confession. The person confessing should be sane and is not high on drunk, on drunk, on drink or drugs. Uh, and school of thoughts differ in this. Imam Malik and Imam Shafi'i says as long as he confess once, you can take his confession. But the madhab of Hanafi and Hanbali requires four times of that confession. And if a person confess and then retracts, you know, like now, you know, any police officer here, when you take statement. Then the sign ready, although tertipu ke, sorry, we go to court and you go and fight. Then you have to have void there. That means a trial within a trial. Rather than talking about the murder, you talk about why you lie during the confession. Sometimes, you know, when, when I was a lawyer before, like the trial was put to be like uh, four days. Sekali first day datang, oh no, the police forced me this, the police punched me, oh, I sit there like, oh my God, four days will become four months. You know, in the end, sometimes I feel, ni case murder, case macam mana eh? Because we've been sidetracked with all these small, small cases in between the case, you know? So anyway, confession. The next one, pregnancy. <clears throat> pregnancy per se does not confirm that there was 
an adultery adulterous act okay in case there are no witnesses and no confession then the woman will not get punishment just because of pregnancy they can fall pregnant without committing se illegal sexual intercourse they could have been raped or coerced in this case he is a victim right dna alone is a secondary proof of evidence, not the main primary evidence. Okay, interesting. Eh? The whole essence would be avert punishment if suspicions arise. Because you look at this. If the value of the witness is questionable, there is motive, there is history. He was your enemy's daughter. Right? There is a, a conflict of interest. Then there is suspicion. Then you want it to happen, so it's unfair, right? What, what else? Just now we talk about um, witness. Second, right? If he or she herself doesn't confess, you cannot force the confession out of him or her because the one who has to answer to God, and the one who answered in this life is is him or her. If he lies. <coughs> The Prophet used this <coughs> quite regularly in, in, in evidence in court when he says, do you do this? And the guy said, no. Good. Confirm? Okay. Now, you sumpah dengan nama Allah. Okay. You, you swear in the name of Allah that if you lie, Allah will inflict on you punishment. Ah, you berani tak? So, but, uh, okay, I did it. Usually, uh, okay, okay, I did it. Then, kalau, I mean, if they, they are brave enough to say, okay, I promise that I didn't do it by the name of Allah, and Allah, if I, if I lie, please inflict punishment on me, pop, lightning kena terus. InsyaAllah lah. <laughs> I rather lightning kena terus, then you leave, and then after they have judgment, you kena punish there. Might as well die, kena punish. 50% dah kena cut off. <laughs> you know, and then pregnancy, you know, uh, Islam is beautiful. It recognizes that sometimes a woman is pregnant because of that illegal sexual intercourse, but maybe she's raped or she's coerced into doing it, right? So as long as there's any suspicions that arise, these three conditions would prevent you from inflicting punishment on the person who commits adultery. So now I have a question before we end today, today's session. <coughs> who? Ready for the answer? Ready for the question? Some serious question, huh? Okay. After this, we become serious. <coughs> Who here dare to take upon himself, following the hadith, to spill the blood of a Muslim, suspecting of committing adultery? Who? Put your hand. Not because of any reason, but because you probably don't fulfill the three requirements of the upright Muslim, of confession, which is not your problem anyway, of pregnancy, which is not your problem anyway. Siapa sini yang willing? Let's say I said, hey, by the way, I committed adultery yesterday. Who's going to kill me after this? Confirm, ah? Kau tidak kena, eh? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not about <coughs> taking the laws in your own hands. Because in Islam, it's about the authority who's been designed to, to do this job. I mean, let me give an example. And I want to say this because it's quite, it used to be very prevalent in our community now, a little bit here and there. Uh, if you if you do this, you will. If you are found to be uh, uh, by the amla, if you are found to be guilty, uh, you will be imprisoned by six months and fine. Let's say you marry under the table. Marry under the table. Huh? Let's say you get some batamis and then they come here and then you marry under the table, because you dah geram tak tahan, then you want to marry tonight. Okay, let me suggest. Huh? Please fast tomorrow. Although it's Sunday. Okay, pergi jogging ke, just let the thing come out. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, the sweat come out. Okay. So, there are people who do this. Sah ke tak sah? <coughs> Saya terima nikah awak, sipulan-bisipulan dengan, dengan apa? Mas kahwin, satu Quran. Uh, ah, okay, dah. <laughs> Belum praktis, I don't know. <laughs> sah ke tak sah? Okay, who say sah put hand? Who say tak sah? Hey, hello, Masno. Wait, I want to record. So I can count. Sah ke tak sah? Ready? Okay, who say sah put hand? Tak sah? 
Now, there's something about Islam that you need to learn. Nothing is really ever literal or simplistic. It's not, nothing is always clearly yes or no. If it's yes or no, it will cause hardship to eat, eat some party. Now, according to the law between you and Allah, there is akad nikah, sah. Understand this? But my question is this, and this will answer the second part. Why don't you go to Aram and why must you go to Batam and do it? Or under the table with some Ustad, Mostad, whatever. <laughs> you tell me whoever does this because we have put two Ustads in Singapore ever in prison because of this. Why do you need to go to them and not the formal procedure? What does it, what is trigger? What does it mean? Something is wrong somewhere, right? Either he cannot marry number two, number three, number five, number ten, you want to marry him again, still you marry under the table. Or he's not qualified in some way, but you know, whatever he, whatever lah, you know, people do, okay, whatever. So Imam Shafi'i, in his understanding of this, Imam Shafi'i is the most legalistic, huh? because he was actually uh, a lawyer. In his opinion, if within a community, there is an appoint, official appointed to do this particular job or task appointed by an authority, not by me or you or whoever, but, so in this sense, ROMM lah. And if you marry, and it's very serious, if you marry other than these established authorities, then to him it's not, it's not valid. So sometimes people ask Ustaz, uh, I dah kahwin, eh, kat mana? Oh, I bayar orang Batam datang Singapore, then this Ustaz marry us under the table. Sound or not? Then, then I say, how far have you been in the marriage? Oh, very far. <laughs> then you ask me for what? Dah very far, tak payah kah? Okay, okay dah, sorry. <laughs> You know, so Kenapa tanpa topik ni? Ah, okay lah dah Kenapa topik ni? Adultery Okay, never mind But you learn something today so. <laughs> InsyaAllah Okay, now Applying this principle Murder is the same thing Who gets to decide Whether there was an You know, murder Murder per se But there's mens rea There's, you know There's an intention as whatever Then Islam Take note of all this And you nampak Dia bunuh je Then you know like And then you want to murder him I mean have you Have you watched The musical Les Miserables Pernah tak Les Miserables What did Jean Valjean did Jean Valjean You know like I speak French actually What did Jean Valjean did That he entered prison You saw him stealing One loaf of bread But if he goes to court The court will ask Why do you steal that loaf of bread and why did he steal a loaf of bread? Because his family was dying of hunger. And perhaps in law he has committed a crime, but by equity, by justice, maybe the court will give him a warning. But you saw him steal a loaf of bread, okay, tangkap dia. You understand what I mean? So again, in apostasy. Although you feel that you're very Muslim to kill someone who apostate, but what right have you to do that to someone who decides not to in this context in our not a Muslim country lah you know in this kind of context wouldn't it be better rather than forcing him you, you murta I kill you so you better don't I get all the Muslim in Bedo in Clementi to kill you okay so you better don't so he become a Muslim but he's not practicing but what if the way you convey the da'wah by being a community of Muslims who are pious who are merciful and is compassionate. Because sometimes the more we know, the, we know, we know. In the application of it, we lack compassion. We lack empathy. And maybe if you become a little bit more empathetic. Because, you know, and we were not so far ago, maybe two years ago, we start praying five times a day. After that, haram, haram, haram. Not, not valid. Taksah, you know, whatever lah, you know, whatever you say in your whatever way. Tapi baru dua tahun lepas ke semayang. You know what I mean? That is not how we should act. In fact, the Khalifa should be the one who's always inviting no matter what state and condition that person is. Because whether he takes it or not, that's not your responsibility. فَذَكِرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَّكِرْ لَسْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ بِمُسَيْتِرْ You should not impose your views. But your job is to uh, invite people to goodness and avoid you know, them from doing harm 
and that's your job. And if it doesn't work out, don't be angry with him. You start ask yourself the question, how, have I, how can I improve in the way that I invite others to Islam? Like today's khutbah, yesterday's khutbah. Right? Take this opportunity. How do you become a community who's more compassionate, who's more beautiful inside and outside, that whatever they see in the news, without having to defend Islam, the non-Muslims know that is not what Islam is about. You don't have to fight tooth and nail. That is not Islam. That is not Islam. I mean, you've been doing this since 2011. 2011. 2001. From 2001. From 2011. From 2011. From 2011. So like people are like, Ustaz, can we interview you? What do you think? I don't think about anything. I don't care. I'm not defending anyone. Don't just go away. I'm just living my own life as a Muslim. Because that's the most powerful thing that you can do. Be that Muslim that you should be. That's how Islam gets defended. Okay? Now, hard, tough questions before we go. And this is Alamak um, Takeaway. Okay. Kita habis ni jam lekas. 9.45, okay? Okay. Let me rush. Rules in Islam are not meant to restrict or inconvenience, but actually to protect. And this is what we've been talking about this whole day about this hadith. It is not about punishment. It is about giving you empowerment to punish and to kill others, but it's to protect the value and sanctity of human life. Right? Number two, Islam makes clear, and not only about this hadith, the previous hadith we learned in the last 13 hadith, what is clear what is permissible is clear, what is haram, in fact, there's a direct hadith on this, what is forbidden is clear, and so your life is easy. This is what you do, this is what you, not, you don't do. And avoid the grey areas. Because hadith, hadith number six or seven, we, we learned before, if you keep on walking around the king's pasture, one day your ship will enter and then you have broken, you have transgressed. Right? So do what is clear, avoid what is not clear, and uh, try your best to avoid the grey areas because that can lead to haram. Right? So, I, I mean, then what is so difficult about Islam in that sense? Right? Number three. Education and da'wah will raise the standards of piety amongst Muslims and this will ensure the protection of their, our rights and liberties. So this hadith especially is pertinent when the level of taqwa amongst Muslims are at a standard level that everybody does not do this adultery, adulterous act or murder or apostasy because then this should be the exception. And so the duty is not to fight apostasy, is not to fight and kill people who are doing adulterous act, but to raise the level of taqwa in yourself, in your family, in your friends, in your colleague. And if everybody does that, a collective work amongst the community, then inshallah, no one wants to do adul commit adultery or murder or apostasy. Okay? Number three, this is the foresight in Islam, mashallah. Allah knows, the Prophet knows, that this is going to be something that is so common that you know one of the signs of the last day that you walk on the street, people are doing on the street and it's nothing. No one bats an eyelid. That's one of the last, uh, last days, signs of the last days. Now, adultery, murder, apostasy are celebrated as life choices. Don't need to talk that. Uh, you know, like sexual preferences, like, hey, I'm, you know, I like this, I like that. Like, you know, you should respect. You should celebrate me. And then we go to Hongling Park. Every, like, you know, whatever lah pink, green, yellow, whatever color you want, okay, you know. And it's come to a point where if you criticize, then you, you can be hauled up in court for doing so. Right? So unfettered lifestyles have reverted from what is forbidden to something that's acceptable or even celebrated. And this hadith is there to remind us to become the pillar. This is what you don't do, this is what you, you don't, you know, you do. So it's very clear in that regard. So as your homework tonight on the way to MRT, please think about this. Don't worry, no need to write. I want you to think about these issues. If Islam has done this for us, the question that I want to, I want to ask you is, what is the status of our Muslim community now? When this has already been given to us 1,400 years ago as a point of ponderance, to, uh, for us to reflect. It's not just a hadith that we quote and put or we just like, mashallah, this cannot do. Or worse, we go around killing people who commit, commit these acts. So the, the direct question will be to us, having learned about this hadith, why are our Muslim youth highly active in the very activities expressly forewarned by our beloved Prophet Adultery, for example. I mean, not talking about adultery, just like promiscuity in sexual activities. I'm in the committee of, I don't know why, uh, in the sexual thing, 
for Muslims, the statistics that you have for people who are inflicted with some form of sexual disease amongst Muslim youth from the age of 13 is devastatingly scary. Scary. But the dichotomy is how to educate this because it has gone beyond abstaining. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you, you cannot just say don't have sex. People are having it. And it's not, in a sense, in this level, a very effective way. It would be at least protect yourself. <laughs> it has come to that level. You understand what I mean? You see the level? We say don't have sex, abstain. But it's gone beyond that. It's like, okay, okay, if you do, even if you do, at least be safe. You know, so that level has gone down until it is, you know. So we need to have a serious question for the youth. What are the things that I should do? What are the things I should avoid? And parents, we should talk about these things and don't let it seem to be a norm. Because when they go out to school, when they go out to work, it's a norm. And don't make it a norm. And for adults, why are such high, there high statistics in cases of divorce, adultery, violence, and apostasy? So what is wrong with us Muslims? We have what they don't have. What do we have? What we have is Allah has given us the complete guide. The Prophet ﷺ has given us the complete detail, like practical issues that he foresaw is going to happen in your community. And all we need to do is to learn, to, to enliven it, to practice it, to avoid all these issues. So perhaps we can examine by asking ourselves, we look at our roles as parents. Are we such that we just go, and go out and earn money and come back? Or do we make friends with our children so that they can talk to us and they can seek conversations with us with regards to these social issues? Because if they don't talk to you as parents, they talk to their friends. And their friends are alama, like them also. No point. <laughs> you know? Or you look as, at our adult as children. So sometimes we feel that you know, in, our, in the world that we live in, that our parents are wrong. They don't know. They don't understand. Selalu, right? Selalu. Not even talk parents. Brother, young, older brother to younger brother, dah gaduh. Like, you don't understand lah. We don't do this anymore, please. It's not called disco. It's called club. <laughs> Example lah. But despite that difference, maybe you think that you're right, have the adapt to just pause and don't laser your mouth. And then just think about it overnight and see the wisdom behind that advice. At the end of the day, your parents, your elders always give you the advice because of their vested interest in your safety, not only in this world but in the hereafter. So be open to accept it because you don't want to regret it later. Right? Or, or as teachers and leaders, all of you at one point in your life, teachers, either officially as a formal teacher or at home as a teacher, or brother and sister as a teacher to each other. You're all teachers. What kind of values do you want to impart? Is it one plus one is two only? Or the adab. You know, the beautiful thing, you know, the Prophet was sent to perfect noble character. Right? Noble character. So he didn't come here to tell us, by and large, about everything else except to perfect and to beautify the quality of our inner spiritual soul so that our physical actions and speech will also become beautiful. That we don't have to do anything because if we just speak from our heart, People listen to it, okay, they want to become Muslim. Ada pernah gitu? Okay, hey, what is Islam? Huh? Within three minutes, you know, NUS, NTU, right? You all have your Islamic Awareness Week recently, right? Let's say you just stand at the booth. Yo, tell me about Islam. Oh, mashallah, Islam is da, 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 da. Within three minutes, I want to become Muslim now. Ada? Ah, your aim, your aim. Okay, I'm ready to be, the, I'm the chief registrar in Singapore. Just call me only, I call, I sign, I register. If when you talk only or when you behave and somebody is attracted to, to the faith, that is the best da'wah. You will find no hadith of the Prophet ﷺ who debate about the faith. Because the faith is not here. Faith is where? Here. So show it through actions and show it through, through the beauty of your heart. Right, and so on and so forth. Uh, relearn the beautiful akhlaq of being Muslim and relocate ourselves back with Allah and the Prophet ﷺ. This could be one of the ways in which we relook at ourselves how we can improve the condition of our community. We cannot go on at least forever and ever. We cannot be the cha-cha one within the country. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or uh, lowest education, uh, 
or lowest job uh, or the poorest days you know like do you ever see if you've been to church have you seen pengemis uh, uh, do you see beggars in a church I've never in temples I never see mosque inside outside mana-mana semua ada like something is wrong but we have zakat you know they don't have why did that fail yeah many problem huh? macam tak habis-habis lah. tapi tak apalah just at least worry you a bit re-examine Allah's priorities when you go to work what is the purpose of the job is it to get money to pay bills or if you have a bigger perspective will it help with the barakah seek knowledge not for its own end but to make us better human beings and better Muslims okay this is important number 8 support each other towards greatness jangan dengki don't kill one another because a Muslim's success is your success Okay, so in that sense, always make du'a for one another so that as we celebrate, as everyone becomes better, you also becomes better, inshallah. You may not be the professor, you may not be the millionaire, but your du'a, in the day of judgment, suddenly, eh, ya Allah, kenapa I got one million points? Oh yeah, you do you du'a for Saifur Rahman, you du'a for Mufti, but how you tak buat apa-apa, you sleep only, but because you have a du'a, they're successful, they had more energy, they teach, 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 whatever they do, you dapat pahala lah. You, you know what I mean? Because like seriously, oh yeah, doa. Example. Example <laughs> doa. Okay, tadi dah rabbana tina. Okay, rabbana afrik alaina sabran wa thabit agdamana wa ansuna ala al-qawmi al-kafirin. Ya Allah, please establish for us patience and put our faith firmly established. That means your faith and everything else. And let us win over the non-believers. And all of this is in plural. You're never making doa for yourself. The Quran always teaches you in plural. So while you're sitting here and snoring away for subuh, so say, Ya Allah, please forgive that guy. Even if you die, Rabbana firlana wa la ikhwana ladhina sabakuna bil iman. Those who die already. And then here in the grave, the, the grave is going to smash you. Sekali that day you want to smash, eh, stop. Then you wonder, why stop? Oh, because you want to smayang, the imam read, Rabbana, Rabbana firlana wa la ikhwana ladhina sabakuna bil iman. Padahal you don't even know who they are. This is the beauty of faith. Right? If you, if you do this, If you read this and you teach your children this, and when you die, they read for you. Right? MashaAllah. And finally, plan to need the need to live in our lives to find the proper balance of success in this world and the next. Not just lopsided wealth and authority, but also wealth and authority in the day of judgment. That's important. Okay? All right. Any question? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, a good, good question. Why is apostasy at the same level as murder and adultery? Now. I try to avoid explaining apostasy for various reasons. One is context. At that time when Islam was new, imagine if the community came together and then people start coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And then in terms of administrating the community as an ummah, it's going to become challenging and problematic. You know, the way that the Prophet in one of his most uh, uh, beautiful khutbah, uh, the khutbah of uh, mm, Mm, the, 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 the Tabuk expedition. The Tabuk expedition wasn't a battle. It didn't work out, right? Because the Byzantine Empire, when they saw 10,000 Muslims walking, they, they, they ran away. And this Byzantine, not Singapore army, Byzantine army at that time, huge. And, um, but this was a test of, of faith. Because, half, because it was 1,000 kilometers from Medina to uh, Tabuk, and it was during uh, hot summer desert condition. And so halfway, there are all these instigators, even before there was instigators, before we began, the, but the Prophet ﷺ decided to go. And along the way, they instigated and about a fifth of people turned back. Right? So this was going on even in, and Tabo exhibition is the last of, the, of like battle expeditions for, 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 for the Prophet ﷺ. So throughout this period, <coughs> there's always been this insurgence even within the Islamic community. I mean, if you look at the Battle of Khanda, it's also the same. Right? The, the Jews were now instigated them and tell them which are the weak points inside Medina. So this is particularly important in the context of that time, right? where 
is a small Nasian community that's just been built in Medina and if people are coming in and out, we don't know who's in and who's out and you know, it's difficult to run a community. Okay? Uh, and that's why I avoided that. <laughs> I didn't explain that part. Okay? But for now, I mean, that's really not really uh, that <laughs> applicable. You understand this? But in any case, the answer to the question is, um, we should not commit this act of spilling the blood of any Muslim by virtue of any of these two acts anyway because of the fact that one of the most important things is it should be decided by a state authority. Okay? Ah, so uh, that's taken in out of our hands. Good. Any other question? One last announcement. You might have seen something spectacular that happened last year with Alchemy of Hippiness when we went to Spain. And apparently our Mr. Jamsari has written to the Straits Times. It's one full page of you know, Beta Harian or the Malay paper. <laughs> uh, so we decided to do one more round because uh, there's a, uh, it's so, I mean, it's really inspirational even for me to read and then I see these this spaces uh, uh, for real. So it's going to be 21st of April to 1st of May. If you're interested, um, uh, do check it out. And uh, we are open until uh, this bulan apa this? Uh, Mid-February, then we will close registration. So think about it, ask your friends. This is not a tour. This is an educational trip about Islamic civilization that you cannot find in books. So actually, civilization, you know, we study Spain, Andalusia, and then they got thrown out. And then finally, uh, they crossed the street to Morocco. So Morocco will be uh, November. And then next year, will be Turkey at the fall of the whole uh, Ottoman Empire. So that is a big plan, three years plan. But to catch up for those who have not had the opportunity, dude, like you cannot find 2009 for this. Like nine day, 11 days, Etihad, no, not Turkish airline, however. Uh, three, four star hotel, you know. Some, okay, anyway, like, okay, just look at it. Uh, uh, if you're interested, uh, please uh, just call the line and register, inshallah. Okay, any other question? No? So anyway, thank you very much. Sorry to hold you all up. First day, I'm not, I'm not like... Uh, yeah. So let's end by reciting Tasbih Kafara and Surah Al-Asr. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha ila anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilai. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Al-Asrina al-insana fi khusr. Ilal ladhina amanu wa amilu salihati. Wa tawasa bil haqqi. Wa tawasa bil sabur. Sadaqallahu al-azim. See you next week, inshallah. Hadith 15. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This comes to the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to subscribe to us in SoundCloud or in the podcast app in the iPhone. Remember to like us on Instagram and on Facebook page. Just search Chronicles of Islam.